0: For November 14th, 2011, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 176, In a Gunny Sack, Behind the Bus Boy. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Kendall Jenner gets a car. Chris Humphreys gets a lawyer. But first... No, I'm sorry. It's not, a, it's not a, that kind of popular culture. Though that, that culture is more popular than any popular culture we talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about video games. But first, uh, the, um, the host of the Oscars, it was uh, announced that... Um, that uh, Eddie Murphy would not host the Oscars when Brett Ratner uh, made some. Um, I think he said that rehearsal is for fags. I think was the quote that uh, yeah. that Brett Ratner, the the bad boy director of, you know. Tower heist. Tower
1: heist. <laughs> and, and I mean, the, the Rush Hour movies.
2: No, the
0: Rush, yeah, that's, that's, oh, what, okay. that's what's made all the money, the, the, yes. the Rush Hour movies. So
1: he um, made his money in stereotypes, basically. Is, yeah, he,
0: he's, yes. you know, has a reputation for being a boorish douchebag. So I don't know why anyone was surprised when he said this, you know, boorish sort of douchebaggy kind of thing. Uh, but his the host that he was sort of paired with was, was Eddie Murphy. And so they're both out. Billy Crystal is in. Uh, Brian Grazier, I think, has stepped in to produce the show. He's the guy with the, the really spiky hair who you see pictures of sometimes. And, uh, but, um, but we want to provide a public service uh, on the podcast. And so the question to the panel tonight is, um, what is uh, who is your backup host? For the Oscars, that is to say, if uh, if Billy Crystal, uh, who is filling in, if Billy Crystal, I, you know, he's not a young man, and if something comes up, um, who should we have uh, as a backup host? First in the alphabet, I'm sorry, Pete, it's Matthew. Just placing Belenke. Peter Fenzel, oh. I, I
2: live with this like uh, Catholic guilt of just existing. Um, <laughs> You know what? I'm gonna go with. Well, sorry, was did we phrase the question specifically an '80s figure? That's no, yeah. Distracted?
0: You know what? How about an '80s? Yeah, how about an '80s comedian or '80s pop culture figure?
2: Right. I was thinking along those lines, and I was thinking that it's time to bring back bring back Max Headroom. Uh, I don't. I don't remember... Here's the thing. Like, I was too young to really understand what the hell Max Headroom is supposed to be. The context. He's, like, a sort of a... a uh, is that how people thought that computers would be in the future? That, like, they, when, when the... Uh, the singularity happens and like uh the robot apocalypse overtakes us instead of like bas- basically you know in the the third matrix movie where like neo goes to the to the center of the uh the robots and the uh, the big baby face made out of swarming nanobots talks to him like that in the 80s we thought that that was going to look like max Hedrum. is that accurate
3: um i yes i mean uh, apparently i Obviously, someone thought that's what it would look like because that's what it looked like when people thought it would look like that. So uh,
1: (laughs) He basically um, looks like a cross between Agent Smith and Duke Nukem, so it seems, like, (laughs) vaguely appropriate. Right. I mean, Uh, the
2: the reason I bring it up is because I like the idea of, like, what did people in the past think the future was going to be, and then when we sort of reach that point when it actually is the future, how accurate were we? Um, And I think that, like... You know, now it's 2011, and this is probably when they thought Max Headroom would be a, a reality. And I'm curious um, curious uh, if the world is, is ready for him to be in prime time now.
1: Um, I think I think that uh, if a Max Headroom needs to have some sort of buddy. I don't like the idea of Max Headroom doing it all by himself. Because uh, Max Headroom is this sort of blonde-haired, blue-eyed British thing, right? Like, and I feel like the world would not be willing to. I mean, we, we're more comfortable with Siri, who is like a faceless, yeah, like yeah. sort of gender-ambiguous slash female presence, right? Like, we don't want it to be forced upon us so much who this person is. We want it to be a little more ambiguous what. Uh, artificial intelligence is governing our lives right so we we don't want it to have such a strong personality i think i think if you want to compare to siri what
3: my my thinking is max max headroom's a very very funny guy but his his shtick is more sort of a a goofball shtick so he needs a straight man to play off. as opposed
2: to the oscars which is like so
3: sophisticated
2: (laughs) and cutting edge humor
3: Yes, so he so he needs a straight man to play off of someone to to feed him lines or someone to react to his you know stuttering staccato like weird blend of eighties pop cultural references. Like so he needs, yes, yes. Max from <laughs> Siri. That is an Oscar hosting duo for She's the. She's the
2: Anne Hathaway.
0: T- is, um, <laughs> James Franco. Siri. Who wins Best Picture? I'll tell you. You Oscar know, this is not too. a
2: bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> because I really like the idea that, like, Siri is the new kid on the block, right? So that I, I like the idea that, that she gets her first face on new day in the sun. Um, and it's just, it, but it's a giant gold-plated iPhone that they, like, roll out on stage. And, um, and you have to, before you, before you ask who the winner is, you have to push, like, a big button on this, like, a microphone and then ask in a really clear voice. <laughs> Island.
0: Excellent. Moving right, <laughs> moving right <laughs> along. Got to leave space for the, you know, uh, Peter Fanto. Hey,
1: hey. So, so originally we were talking about this also in terms of desperation moves involving like nostalgic figures because you need to find something that people are, are somewhat comfortable with. Um, so in doing this, I explored a little bit, and I do highly recommend going to the website, which is entitled, in its short description, the website of comedy legend Gallagher, uh, gallaghersmash.com, uh, because he's the only comic I know who would be incapable of making a joke that would offend the Hollywood elite, uh, because uh, he doesn't have content, right? So, I mean, he has a little bit, but uh, you're familiar with Gallagher, right?
2: I guess, but you forget that Jack Nicholson is half watermelon. <laughs>
1: That's true. It would be funny. Actually, everyone would get offended. you have to put, like, ponchos on all the fancy <laughs> gowns in, like, the first ten rows. It <laughs> would actually be great.
2: Just, Wouldn't like, awesome? the reaction shot of, like, Angelina Jolie and she's wearing, like, Versace. Yeah. That's just it crusted
1: it just layers and layers of watermelon yeah. <laughs> just splashing out there and like you see all the all the stars get up and just all try to make for the bathroom and all the bathroom seat filler people like come in and like they're trying to dodge like they're, like gallagher's trying to fake him out to see what he's gonna hit the watermelon <laughs> to see if they're gonna be in their seats or not I think that would be really enjoyable. I also think you could set up podiums around the the room so that Gallagher could, like, pop up at a different place and hit the watermelon there. Uh, for those of you who might be unfamiliar, because you might be a little young, Gallagher was inexplicably one of the most popular stand-up comedians of the 80s, and his big deal was that he would hit fruit with a giant mallet, like a sledgehammer. Not all fruit. You're, you're, You need to be specific <laughs> about this. Well, no, I mean, if you watch the full Gallagher routine, he works his way up, but the big money shot was... Was the watermelon and smashing a watermelon with a hammer in like a sort of the 80s were a big time for ponchos in audiences because it was like you know Shamu was a big deal and people were in the splash zone and that was a big deal
2: the the whole decade was like the blue man group basically yeah
1: pretty much so yeah so I was thinking that Gallagher would be a great way to distract people um, from the fact that there's no content in the Oscars and it would be a good desperation move Um, so yeah that's what I'm going to go with and also if you want to see Gallagher uh, it looks like his next tour. appearances (laughs) Uh, Spokane, Washington? No, Ventura, California It doesn't look like his website's been updated in a long time, but it looks like uh, no, yeah, he's in Spokane this weekend, so head up to Spokane, Washington and go see what all the fuss is about 25 years ago (laughs)
0: Excellent, what all the fuss was about (laughs) Exactly Pete, I'm
1: still trying to visualize, what other fruit is there besides watermelons? Well, there's a lot of fruits. Well he does oranges, I think, right? Like I think he did I think he did even would do apples and stuff. I mean he would really work his way up from small stuff. I think I um,
2: actually if you've ever operated a sledgehammer, swung one, it takes skill to hit a small piece of fruit with a sledgehammer. Technically
1: so. it's a sledgeomatic. It's not an actual – and it's much closer to a map. He doesn't
2: actually like swing it John Henry style?
1: <laughs> well, it's got a really broad hit striking face, right? Whereas sledgehammers are really heavy, dense iron, right? And you, they have a fairly – while they have a flat hitting face, it's not large. Um, whereas the Sledge-O-Matic uh, had, had a pretty broad uh, striking face so that it was a little bit easier to hit, um, hit objects square on even if they were round. Did he There's invent kind of, his own tool? I don't think it has any other uses. Uh, I don't know whether it would qualify. I guess I in a like, sense. Imagine like
2: Thor, like a mighty forge, with like his shirt off, just like sweating, <laughs> like forging yeah. the blunt instrument of comedy.
1: Yeah, the sledgehammer, the head of the Sledge-O-Matic looks vaguely like a uh, like a tree trunk or like a piece of stone, uh, and it's duct taped around the handle. The the head is about as large as Gallagher's head. Um, I mean, I guess I said it isn't a tool. I guess if a monkey were to figure out how to use a slide it would be a really big deal. Um,
2: <laughs> it, <laughs> like, would it would be, be hilarious. <laughs> that monkey would host the Oscars in a second.
1: It would also get those termites out of that hill a lot faster um, than that stick that he's been using. <laughs> so, so there you go.
0: Excellent, Pete Fenzel. On to John Parrish. The GoBots. <laughs> And I am Matt rather.
3: <laughs> I mean, do I do I need to talk it out anymore? Come on. The I mean, GoBots. Do you
0: care to elaborate? <laughs> They're like Transformers, but cheaper, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everyone remembers the GoBots. There was that one and uh <laughs> and the other one and there was there was the bad guy. I think he had rocks or something. I don't.
0: You know, I did have a Gobot when I was little, and it was very cool because it was a car, and it was one of those cars where you set it on the ground, and if you pull it back while pushing it on the ground, it like a uh, you know a little motor winds and it pushes it forward. You know those kind of cars.
3: Uh, you th- I th- you're thinking of someone different. Those those aren't. I don't think those are these Gobots. No,
0: it was a, it was a Gobot, and then okay, so so then. The thing that it did was it transformed after it had gone like fifteen feet, and it like popped up and turned into something a robot that immediately.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I, had, I remember I mean, those. The Transformers had those too. Oh, did they? Yeah. I? Well, I mean, I'm not so saying I don't want to make a
0: transformer. I wanna... Oh, you're, I'm only in thinking that I had disproven your point, John. I had I only ended up proving it in the end.
1: Well, no, no don't give up hope so quickly. It's very possible the GoBats copied that too. <laughs> <They> cop- <laughs> <laughs> no, I had one. And it was it looked like a little. Um, almost like a little jet plane with like big delta wings and like a big tail and then it was really just a robot doing a jackknife so that the point in the front was like sort of like tails as if it were a suit jacket right and so it was like his butt and the tails of his suit jacket facing forward and he would flip and his like big feet would if you were really lucky would land him on his feet and that would be pretty impressive but that didn't happen most of the time got it uh,
0: mm-hmm. and, and so for, for me, I, I went back, I had to rack my brains for 80s comedians because I, I spent a lot of time watching like Betamax, uh, copies of like the comic relief HBO telethons. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember those from, uh, but they were always okay. hosted by Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, and, uh, Robin Williams together. Yep. I, um... They were like a triumvirate, like an ancient and
2: So, writing. so my...
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: My, yeah, exactly The sort of un, the, unholy, the unholy trinity And, um, and uh, so my first thought was Paul Rodriguez Who, who you know, replaced uh, Bob Eubanks on the Newlywed game you, I, I also spent a lot of my misspent youth watching game shows You know, because they were before my bedtime I had a ridiculously early bedtime as a child It was, uh, it was you know, practically fascism it, You know what, it was worse than fascism <laughs> In a way. In a way. In a way. People. In a way. <laughs> in the that. sense that you had
1: to in experience it. Yeah. You we say in a way. Um, well, by the way, if you Google Paul Rodriguez, I don't think you find the person that you're talking about. Unless he's figured out how to ollie in the intervening time. That is his
0: son. The uh, Oh, the professional, really? The professional skateboarder. Uh, oh. Paul Rodriguez Jr. is the son of Paul Rodriguez, the comedian who began his career in the '80s and was on a lot of those comic reliefs, and uh, then uh, got this uh, gig, uh, got this gig doing the uh, the Newlywed Game, which I, which I remember because um, uh, because Bob Eubanks always used to say make whoopee as a euphemism yes. <laughs> for have sex, and let right. you know. Well, and there is that that famous clip that I think you can YouTube if you want. Like, what is the strangest place that that you and your partner make whoopee? And uh, one couple answered, "In the butt."
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that's that's you know I don't know. It's viral. That's that,
1: that's like the equivalent of that Press Your luck episode that goes on for three episodes because the this guy was a savant and like, like memorized broke the, the way. It gaming machine. <laughs> exactly. It's that's like you just broke the newlywed I mean, game. He basically <laughs> occupied hit
2: pressure door. luck.
1: Yeah. When he comes back, they have to come back with a whole new system of robust checks and balances on the on the player's ability to check the system. So.
3: But
0: I um, <laughs> oh. I but I, I I in fact I don't choose Paul Rodriguez, ladies and gentlemen. I give you the 84th annual Academy Awards, hosted by Arsenio <laughs> Hall. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Oh man! Uh, another. We were all swinging our arms for that one. Oh we yeah, keep-
0: I was. I was. Uh, you know, fist pumping in the air. It yep, was. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's my choice. Arsenio, all the way, baby. Uh, fantastic, fantastic, Arsenio. All right, moving on. Um <laughs> Right. So it was a big week this week in something that I know absolutely nothing about. So I'm about to get a little education from the other three uh, members of the panel. Uh, Video games, something I know absolutely nothing about. And I I understand it was a big week for video games. Pete, am I mistaken in that assumption?
1: No, you're correct. And I would not so much call it an assumption as derived information from what we told you right before the podcast started.
0: Wow. (laughs) Wow. What do, you call it? what do you call it in improv when someone serves you up a premise and your scene partner just throws you under the effing bus?
1: <laughs> uh, well, par- to some degree it's call called it. a neg. It depends on whether or not people laugh. <laughs> uh, no, it actually it actually doesn't. Unfortunately, no. I should I should run with your president. It has been a big week for video games. You're correct. We had two of the biggest titles and most anticipated titles in recent memory. I would say both, both because of the cachet of their franchises, and of course as these franchises build up steam pun intended. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, which I guess only about a third of the audience is going to get. But as the franchises build up steam, then the anticipation for the later installments of the franchises build up steam. Plus, these latest ins- installments of the franch- franchises have every expectation of being awesome, and I think have delivered, as far as I've heard. Um, and also, just the delivery method is different, and we can get to that, but just, like, the degree to which people can participate in the opening day or weekend of a video game is a lot different than it used to be. Uh, and of course, for this week, I'm talking about Modern Warfare 3 and Elder Scrolls 5 Skyrim right um so those the, are the, the big releases
3: to tag in real quick for because i've i've played neither of these games so this will be my one my one useful bit of contribution that i'm going to tap out for like five minutes uh modern warfare 3 and this is per the latest news as of you know sunday evening numbers might be updated by monday when you guys listen to this uh, apparently uh, moved four hundred million dollars worth of uh, product in its first twenty four hours, right. which which makes it the most successful entertainment product in one day launch ever. I mean, blowing away any equivalent movie or book
0: <laughs> or well, book. Yeah, it, I there. mean, wasn't it the latest Grand Theft Auto that had it before? Or no, it was Modern Warfare or something that had it. It before?
3: was Modern Warfare Two that had uh, that I believe had the record before, or maybe GTA Four. I don't know, but in any case. The record is being consistently broken by video games so it's it's almost not news anymore but just you know rendering further the notion that films are it, not a dying medium but the focus is shifting from film as a medium to video games as a medium and this is the latest salvo in that score
1: mm-hmm. and for those who are still trying to catch up call of duty and modern warfare are the same thing Nowadays, Call of Duty used to be World War II video games, but Modern Warfare is their sort of modern franchise. They're more contemporary stuff. I mean, so what you like, Is yeah. that
2: like yeah? It's it's sort of like a like if X Men is the sort of meta is, is the sort of overarching franchise, then like the first class movie might be the start of a new trilogy, whereas that there's still the old trilogy out there. Right, um, right, right. Because like, you know, almost certainly like next – I mean here's an interesting thing about video games, which is that movies, we know they're coming years ahead of time. We knew there was going to be an Avengers movie uh, probably like two or three years ago, um, and we had time to get excited about it. Where video games, they tend to play pretty close to the chest. Um, that like this video game, Modern Warfare 3, which is now the top-selling entertainment product of all time, I don't think it was announced till like June. Um, and, like, almost certainly, like, next fall, the new biggest-selling um, video game of all time will be some other Call of Duty game, which they won't announce until, like, next summer. You know, like, they're certainly working on it now, but they, they really uh, – they managed to keep them pretty secret.
1: Yeah, I mean, some, sometimes that's the case. I, I, th- I know that, um, you know, Heart of the Swarm, the Star- the StarCraft sequel has been talked about for the past year and isn't coming out until next year. And there's some instances where games are in development for a long time, people talk about them for a long time. But I think you're right in that, like, you don't, I don't think you have to build quite as much hype to get these kinds of numbers. Like, this isn't a function of the people promoting video games being better at promoting video games than the people who promote movies are at promoting movies. I think that, that's the main takeaway. You don't Need the hype machine so much. Like, if you remember, you know, the, I mean, not if you remember, but if you think about when movies were threatened by television. And it looked like movies might be going out of business. And then they came up with, like, The Towering Inferno and The Tent Pole and The Blockbuster. There was a degree to which promoting opening weekends and big releases was a way of working around the fundamentals of their business and the idea of their margins being compressed by the competition. It was a business strategy to add value to what they were doing. Video games don't even need to do that. There's so much demand, and that people are willing to pay so much for them, that you don't have to manufacture this hype for the for the good ones i mean there still are video i mean the hype machine for video games is different it's certainly corrupt uh and it's and certainly is uh um you know problematic in a lot of ways and and i think video game promotion is one of the places where you see the most abuse of like online communities and the most sock puppetry and the most like manipulation of of you know websites um, because people are so comfortable in that medium you see more of that than you do with movies you'll see you're
3: more go ahead I will add the hype machine for these two games, for Skyrim and Modern Warfare 3 in particular, has been pretty extensive, if by nothing else than the TV spots I've been seeing, mostly because the only form of TV I watch live nowadays is uh, professional American football. And there have been a lot of ad spots for Modern Warfare 3. There's a very popular ad with Jonah Hill and some other guy who I don't know. Sam
1: Worthington is the other guy.
3: Sam Worthington. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Worthington. (laughs) Okay.
1: Uh He made a little movie called Terminator Salvation.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hardest working working man in Hollywood, Sam Worthington. Uh, Sam Worthington as the pro and Jonah Hill as the noob. Right, it's
2: it's the vet and the noob. And of course, there's sort of a meta joke in there because Sam Worthington was the voice of the main character in last year's Call of Duty game,
3: Black Ops. Whereas I take it Jonah Hill is not the voice of any character in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3.
2: No. Uh, yeah. not no, as far as I know yet, although I haven't seen.
0: all the <laughs> no, I he, believe he's, he's always a, he's a, a new animated sitcom on, on uh Fox, right?
1: Oh, I was going to say he was a wise cracking horse in Skyrim. It was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> you got, you need to get up on." That. That's what Eddie Murphy's doing. He's like, "You need to get up on that dragon. You need to go fight that dragon." I'm going to sit down here and eat some oats. Uh, <laughs> but we yeah. don't have Eddie Murphy impressions to last lifetime. We can move on from there. It is funny that they make Jonah that they make Sam Worthington the the veteran and Jonah Hill the noob, uh, considering the. Um, the differentiation between people, the sort of physical assumptions about people who are good at actual war and people who are good at first-person shooters, right? Like, you might expect (laughs) Jonah Hill to be the noob and Sam Worthington, like, I guess who's older, right? And is, of course, like you know, a, a, a heavily trained actor-type British person. Well,
3: I guess I, the, the presumption, and I think, you know, this is something the commercials and the game are trying very hard to market, is that, you know, you're not playing a game. You are, you know, experiencing war. I think the taglines have the of, you know, there's a soldier in all of us or something like that. Like, you right. are becoming a soldier by getting better at this game. So, obviously, we want to cast someone who is plausibly a soldier, the chiseled and handsome Sam Worthington, as the vet. And then, you know, someone who isn't quite plausibly a soldier, but by the end of the commercial, you know, he's he's capping fools like what uh, as the noob. It is funny because if I go ahead, no,
2: no, I I wanted to make an interesting distinction, which is like, yes, on one hand, like there's a soldier in all of us. It's like this is the closest you're ever going to get to war. But that's not the tone that the ad has. The ad is sort of like this rock and roll music. And they're they're sort of like they they make jokes. Jonah Hill is funny. And the sort of. The impression that it gives me is that like it's, it's it's all fun and games, right? This isn't serious as opposed to uh, Modern Warfare's three big competitor right now is Battlefield 3, which the commercials I've seen are much more like, this is a serious game where you do serious things and you can like live out your fantasies of saving the world um, and, and last year the, the competitor with Modern Warfare was Medal of Honor, which was the one where it actually was sold on how realistic an experience of Afghanistan it was, that they interviewed all these real special forces soldiers they try to recreate specific locations in Afghanistan. And I mean modern warfare, although obviously I think people people enjoy the sort of like, you know, the, the the weapons and the artillery and all this, and it's based on real things. It it seems like the tone that they're going for is not like super serious.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so it is definitely a sense of because I remember the image of the guy in the fast food restaurant uniform, like going spicy handed with submachine guns. Right. Like, that was that was
2: last year's. There's a soldier in all of us for for yeah. Black Ops, and it wasn't right. They could have done an advertising campaign all about Vietnam, and it's like you're going like into Vietnam, and like this is a hell and like any you've ever imagined. But it's yeah. not. It's like this is gonna be fun, and like everyone can do this, and we can all like you know have fun running around a map and like shooting each
1: other. Yeah, The thing that uh, strikes me about it is how much the video game industry has had to fight back against accusations that video games shape behavior. Right, uh, because people are scared that if you play a violent video game, you're more likely to go and shoot somebody in real life. And video games are like, no, you know, you know, we this is, a, this is either the argument that it's cathartic and people get an opportunity to work out their violent fantasies rather than li- work, live them out, um, or that it's just entertainment and it's not something you have to worry about. And at the same time, off the other end of it, marketing that sort of feel, that sort of blurring of reality and fantasy, and that sort of like, you want to experience this in real life. I mean, I guess there is a semantic point where it's, well, you can't do it. We're taking it as a given that you're not going to go out and do this, so you can do it at home. Um, I wonder whether the c- semantic uh, note of that is not quite um, distinct enough from the thing that they're trying to argue against, whether it undermines the cre- uh, credibility of that argument. I mean, I don't particularly care. I believe in you know freedom, <laughs> and so we should be able to play the games we want to play. But, um, yeah, no, it's just interesting. And it is It is interesting. You know, I guess – they don't advertise as that you having a zerg in all of us, so it's like I don't have as much to identify with in the games that I play regularly as with the first person shooters. Although I have been playing Team Fortress lately, and it's like you know we have a we have a heavy in all of us. It's like yes, <laughs> <Medic>!
2: <laughs> Are you It actually doesn't surprise me that you like to play as the heavy.
1: Yeah, I actually play as the soldier most of the time. Um, and uh, Or I've been playing Demo Man lately. But yeah, yeah, it's like, I want to go to the... I, next time I go to the... Get a checkup, i come back, You're a great doctor! <laughs> like, thank you, doctor! And then they're going to look at me real funny, and I'm getting kicked out. But okay. and I'm going so, so to take out a switch and throw it on the ground, because I'm nice to my doctor. I don't eat my sandwich when the doctor is right there. It's not appropriate. So that, that's,
3: that's, a, that's an interesting lead-in question. Do you guys have preferred... I guess builds or classes when you play games like this because I know Modern Warfare 3 in the multiplayer has different classes or at at the very least kits of gear and skill sets that you can build into and Skyrim and Skyrim of course also has you know particular classes and skill sets that you can level up so do you do you guys have preferred classes and and do you think your preferred class says something about your character or like your personality, like the personality of you, the person holding the controller. The answer is yes. I just want you to explicate how.
1: <laughs> well, there's so many genres and so many directions that I take this in. Do you want to start with the most, the ones closest to home? Because Matt, you play Modern Warfare Three.
2: I'm playing right? it actually
1: right now. As yes, you're playing it right now. Um, so <laughs> uh, what do you tend to play? In, like? yeah. You guys should yeah. probably stage an intervention.
2: <laughs> um, I, you know, it, it's not as simple as like classes. Like you know, you can be. It, it's it's not as um. As 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 predetermined as it is in um in uh, Team Fortress 2, that like you can pick your guns. You can pick your secondary guns. Then you have an assortment of perks. Like, do you wanna not show up on the radar? Do you wanna be really fast? Do you want your bullets to travel further? Uh, do you wanna have more sense of where everyone else is? Then you can pick your kill streaks. That's, let's say you kill two guys or three guys in a row. What do you want your reward to be? Do you want it to be uh, like an airstrike? Do you want it to be a bulletproof vest? Um, then you could pick, like, upgrades for the guns, like what kind of a scope do you want? Um, is there any sort of, uh, do you want, like, a silencer, but that carries a trade-off of range and power of the shots? Um, then you could pick the, uh, the kind of finish you want on the gun, what kind of camouflage do you want? That has no tactical purpose whatsoever, but it gives you (laughs) a sense that, um... So it's 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 not like you know you're one thing or the other. It's like what combination of things complements your playstyle? Are you the kind of guy who wants like to move very fast and to, like run into enemy territory and just count on your reflexes or do you want to be like very strong and durable and sort of defend the base?
3: Yeah, and I'm sure there are particular combinations of weapon perks and i guess skill perks that you know mesh together very well to create well i mean you're you're playing it so you tell us like are there particular combinations that you are finding in play over and over whether as yourself or as people who shoot and uh, who shoot you and whom you shoot at
2: i mean you know i'm not the best to to sort of sum this up so that like i hesitate to say something like that because i'm probably going to to misinterpret what i'm seeing but To to, to my eyes, like, what you start out with is the assault rifle. And, I mean, like, but what I start out with is, like, that is the best for the majority of players when you start. And it's probably going to be the best for a while. And then when you reach a point where you're really good then maybe you want to switch to, like, a lighter machine gun. Because what that can do is, like, you can shoot fast... You can move faster with it because it's a lighter weapon. You can shoot faster, shoot more bullets. And the trade-off is that the bullets do not hit as hard, so you need to be more accurate with your aiming. So that, like, when you can officially make the change that, like, I don't even need the assault rifle. I can, like, run around with a light machine gun and, like, sort of shoot people in the back of the head before they know I'm in the room. That's when you know that, like, you're there. Like, right now I'm, I'm running off the a very powerful assault rifle so that I can shoot people from far away. I can kill them with only a few bullets, assuming that I can aim at them, which is a big assumption to make. Um, so that I, I've, I've not, um... And I mean, also there are the snipers who are, like, a sub-breed of their own. It's like they're playing, they're playing like, a whole different game. Like everybody else is like running around the map trying to like capture objectives and they're like hiding in the corners, like ducking behind things, trying to get to the tops of buildings and like hoping that nobody notices them. Um, It's like a strange personality type being a sniper in any first person shooter.
3: It, it's a strength uh, yeah. personality type being a sniper in, in any life, I would think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I actually once embarrassed myself by saying a bunch of I don't know what possessed me to do this, but like saying a bunch of mean things about snipers um, over dinner with a large group of people, and it turned out that one of the people, I believe, was married to a sniper and it like was really real, awkward. <laughs> like,
2: like, like not somebody who played a sniper in first-person
1: sure. <laughs> No, no, a real life actual sniper who, as far as I know, wasn't there, but with them, you never know. They could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> there. He could have been in a gunny sack hiding back with a busboy. boy like, uh, he tried to pop me, but he determined I wasn't an officer, so it wasn't worth the trouble of revealing his position to the yeah. rest of the bar. Um, I mean, I'll answer. I'll answer your question, and I'll rifle through some of the genres. I think it, it's changed a lot since I was a kid. I think when I was younger, I liked to play characters who were more finesse based. I appreciated characters who had more backstory, and as I got older, I've gotten kind of grizzled, and I, I'm just I love slugfest characters, and I love characters who can just like. Go into situations um, and try to sort of like not characters who like are actually like tanking on the front lines but characters who try to like you know do deal lots of damage uh, through fairly direct means um, but are not necessarily tied to like the sort of strategic core of what 's going the tactical core of what 's going on so for example in team fortress i like to play soldier who is a guy with a rocket launcher right and he, he can blast the ground and shoot himself into the air damaging himself so that he can gain <laughs> a tactical advantage on his enemies uh you know <laughs> these days in starcraft i play zerg and I, I bump out a lot of roaches and these are these you know big aliens with these thick carpaces that are supposed to run they burrow under the ground and they pop up and they take a lot of damage before they go down right in um and uh, I'm playing LA Noir right now, right? And you get to pick your suit. And I'm picking the suit of like the fist fighter, right? Like the Broderick suit, which is like a, a sort of a blue suit with a straw hat, which is supposed to be like a little bit lighter and a little bit more for getting in fights. And I tend to, and I'm playing that game while I'm playing a lot, playing LA Noir. We can talk about that in a little bit too. Um, when I played, uh, last time I played a tabletop role-playing game, John was there, and I played an Avenger with a big axe, and I would try to run in there and try to beat things up. Uh, there's a certain amount of self-sacrifice in the characters I play where it's like, I don't care if I'm going to take damage. I want to get in there and finish what I'm doing, which makes me pretty bad at first-person shooters. <laughs> we have to simultaneously like evade while, while dealing damage. Um, so and, – and, and much more effective at, uh, at slower strategy games where you can sort of pick your sh- – where you don't have to consciously be aware of the fact that you need to avoid getting hurt. Um, it's something you can sort of – OK, I'm going to turn on this part of my brain for a little bit and see how it works, and I'll turn it off. Um, I'm not very good at dodging. <laughs> I'm not very coordinated. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of the thing is that I want to be able to make, get my way out of the situation. So like in ice hockey, you know, I would be the, the fat guy or in uh, – in, um, we, we do have a team of the
2: four fat guys.
1: Yeah, I'd play that sometimes, definitely. Although I kind of like the average guy, too. But the skinny guy was kind of... Eh, maybe I'd have one on the team. The skinny guy would, like, fall down if you blow on him. Yeah, exactly. It's like One skinny guy and three fat guys would be a team I would play a lot. Right? And it's like, you have one skinny guy in case you're, like, totally unable to move the puck around. But if you have... But the three fat guys... And you just try to get in fights. In fact, large stretches of the game, no progress would be made. Right? So you're
2: basically, I mean, just, like, the 1970s Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, yeah, I, I,
1: sure. <laughs> are they they, elaborate do you have any more information I I believe
2: they were known as the Broad Street Bullies and they were known as like a very physical team that would just try to like uh cow the other team in a submission (laughs) by like beating all their best players up
1: um, Let me just say, yeah. I was really, ex- I was really excited when I first heard about Bill Lambier Combat Basketball for the Super Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I play NBA Jam, I come out and I push you, like as you're trying to inbound the ball. I stand there and I push you.
2: Um, you. Not only light the rim on fire, but
1: you salt the cord so that
2: no crops will grow there in the future.
1: Exactly, it's like this line must be drawn here. This far, no farther, Hakeem Olajuwon. You shall not dream, shake in front of me. You know, He's heating up. <laughs> Blow him out! Blow him out! <laughs> foul him! Oh. Foul him! So, so
3: yeah, I'll, I'll I'll pitch my answer to my own question as well. So when I, so I haven't played either Skyrim or. Modern Warfare Three, but I have played Oblivion, which is the prior game in the Elder Scrolls uh, s- series that Skyrim's in. And I've also played both Mass Effect games, which are immensely fun and sort of in a similar similar action RPG uh, genre. So I find that whenever I whenever I play these, I always build like like you, Pete. I build the the tough hitting guy uh, for the first run through. I think. In your case, that has less to do with the willingness to get in there and dish damage and and sacrifice a little and just draw attention, and more to do with the fact that really for all the features that are tacked onto these games, it really does boil down to how long can you take damage before the other guy goes down. Like that, that's, that's your admission into the game world is that, is that hit points bar at the top. And once that runs out, they kick you out of the club. Like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, time to go, sir. You've had, you've had too much fun. It's like, no, no, I just got here. so so really, my first playthrough is just like, all right, what can maximize either you know that h p bar or the damage I can do per you know per second or per click of the per click of the button just to you know just to stay in the game as long as possible and see as much of it as possible and then, on successive playthroughs i 'll try the more tactical build like oh i 'll be the sneaky guy who pings damage or i 'll be the you know area effect control guy which is usually a wizard or or some equivalent in in different games but for the first for the first playthrough i'm always i'm always the tough guy who can sort of hang because it's a very standard build that doesn't require a lot of real tricky tactics you just run at things and click on them
1: mm. so the other interesting takeaway from this is you tend to play things through more than once
3: oh yes not to the extent not to the extent that other people do i don't think i mean i'm not I'm not obsessive about completing things, but I I want a game that has good replay value that I can, you know, I'll I'll play once through just to complete the main quest and maybe do a little bit of side stuff, and then I'll play once through to explore most of the side quests and see and see what else is available. And I, I think a lot of RPGs or a lot of exploration adventure games are built with that play style in mind. You know, there'll be side action that's always going on, but there's the. And there's the main storyline, and you don't need to pursue one to get to the other. Right,
1: right. Just it just occurred to me, um, also in Smash Brothers, which I've played a ton of. I play a lot of Jigglypuff. And, of course, what Jigglypuff tries to do is he tries to get as close to you as possible so that he can go to sleep and kill you with a dramatic – like a giant blast of sleepiness, sleepiness, right? And it's like, okay, I want to get in there. I want to hit you. And I'm, I'll accept the fact that if you hit me, I die. Um, but, yeah, I mean it is cool. I, I don't think any of us are probably completists, which is, I guess, the official term for people who want all the side quests and all that other stuff. Like I, I haven't played a game approaching like 100 percent of completion on stuff since, well, I guess Mario 64 or like maybe even Grand Theft Auto. No, no, the Tony Hawk games I would do that. I try to get you every go back reward and
0: get three stars in every level in Angry Birds.
1: Uh no, no, not yet. Although I am trying to get all the power-ups in my tower defense game. I, I do try to do that sometimes with Angry Birds, but sometimes Angry Birds pisses me off, man. Angry Birds makes me angry. Well, the Angry uh,
2: Birds are pissed off too.
1: I guess, I mean, is that the point? Like is, is are you supposed to be feeling like the birds like smashing your head against these walls over and over again? Um I don't know, I guess in puzzle games, maybe. But but what I'm talking about is, like, I'm going to go and do every side quest and look up everything in the game and figure out how it all works. I mean, I'll do it sometimes, but uh, not that often. I, some yeah. people really love that stuff. Um, and I mean,
2: there's an insane amount in some of these new games, you know? Like, if mm-hmm. you go around, there's a new um, there's a new Batman game out now, mm-hmm. and it, if Arkham want, City can, right? like, yeah, and you could like you know look look on every rooftop of Arkham City and like find yeah. all the riddler trophies, but mm-hmm. then like you don't actually get like Commissioner Gorn's not going to mail you a medal when you find all the riddler trophies. All you do is like you tell your friends that you found the riddler trophies and yeah. and i don't know what happens it it seems like the reward doesn't outweigh the the tediousness. Of, of trying to get 100% completion.
1: Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I've, I've been thinking, so playing these new games, right, and I'll share a little of my own experience. I'm currently, as I said, playing L.A. Noir, which came out for PC this week. I don't have a Xbox or a PS3, so I got it for PC. Um, and it's a game where you have to really exhaustively search through a lot of these places, and you just sort of walk around a crime scene, continually clicking the mouse button. Uh, that's how I do it. <laughs> I, like, brute force it. Walk over every square foot of the place, clicking the mouse button constantly, see if I find all the details and stuff. And it feels like a very old school game to me because it reminds me of the old Sierra games, right? Yeah, yeah, so where like, and one of my favorites is uh, is Robin Hood Quest of the Longbow, Conquest of the Longbow, which is one of my favorite Sierra games from back in the day. And if you did do everything right, there was a big reward at the end of the game. Um, which I thought was really cool. There are a lot of cool things about that game that I feel like people should incorporate in other games, which is that at the end of the game, after you've done everything, you you inevitably get captured and you get put on trial for your crimes. And it's determined at your trial based on all the stuff that you've done, whether you go to prison or not and what other sorts of outcomes happen to you. And a lot of it involves whether you found the best solution to the things that you solved. So it doesn't stop... It allows you to have a certain amount of open-endedness in that if you find the wrong solution, it lets you progress, but there is ultimately a calling to account for the choices that you make. So like you meet a, a, a friar on the road, and you, or a monk on the road, and you need the monk's coat in order to sneak into the monastery. Now you can hold him at Arrow Point, and you can ask him to give it to you. You can give him money. Like, you can give him food. You can do something nice for him. Like There's a variety of different ways you can deal with this. Uh, and depending upon how nice you are to him, he'll, he's going to testify. If he's dead, he's not going to testify. But if he shows up to testify at your trial, he may put in a good word for you, which is going to be to a great effect for what you're doing. Now in L.A. Noir. It doesn't seem like... I mean, I'm not that far through it yet. I'm just on the homicide desk. You know, you progress through the game doing different kinds of crimes. But, uh, but I'm assuming it's probably not going to be all that different, right? Like, based on... You get stars, right? And it's the stars that are the rewards. And, and achievements, Right, achievements are such a big thing now in these video games, and I enjoy achievements. Like I like getting them, but um, man, there's a lot of achievements in a lot of these video games. It's like it's a it's surprising how it snuck up and become this big thing for all of these games. Like, and for Matt, who you're not familiar with these things, it's like, oh, like you just walked over three blue house tiles. Like you get a special achievement right. called. Yeah, you didn't even nope. know that you were supposed to do those things. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then eventually, if you get like some sort of arbitrarily high, that would be a fun point. Like, Like, what is the tipping point of achievements you get, which makes you start thinking it's plausible for you to get all of them, right? Like, it's probably around what, like seventy percent or so, like where it's like, oh,
0: I actually no, it's lower. It's lower than that. It's got it's like yeah,
1: because I don't honestly care unless I feel like it's in reach. You know, just coincidentally. Um, But yeah, I mean,
2: I think think that that um, leads to something interesting. Uh, Like, I'm playing Modern Warfare now, and like people who haven't played first-person shooters recently probably just figured that every match is, you know, you you start, everybody has a gun, and every match is the the same. But basically, it's a role-playing game. The same as, like, a Final Fantasy or something. And you level up your character every time you do anything. And even, it's, it's the same deal, that, like, things you weren't trying to do. That, like, when you shoot Ten guys from a kneeling position, you get a certain amount of experience points. When you use, a yeah, you certain do. scope. <laughs> when you when you shoot a, a a couple guys like after having been shot two times previously, then you get like a comeback reward, and like you get experience points for everything, and you level up everything, and that leads to you unlocking better weapons and everything. And in a way, I've complained about this before that I think it's it's kind of a poor system because it um. It leads to a situation where the people who have been playing the most have a large advantage um, because they've unlocked everything. And so that when you're starting the game and you need the most help because you don't know any of the maps, you don't know how to play, you are at the, you're at the greatest disadvantage. Because you have the gun like right out of the box, and they've all been like uh, spending hours and hours unlocking these scopes and these perks and everything. But it really does keep you on that hamster wheel because you're like, oh, if I play a few more matches, I can unlock this new shotgun, and who knows? And then based on that shotgun, I can unlock a better shotgun. Um, and it's really there's always something new to do. And the the really sinister thing that they that the Call of Duty people invented is like you figure that like in these games, there's got to be an end to it. There's got to be Like a top level. And once you get to that level, there's no more way to level up. And then, so the Call of Duty people invented this thing called prestiging, which is that after you reach the highest level, in this game, and, and the previous uh, two Call of Duties, I think, um, what you can do is you can elect to go down to zero, and basically start the multiplayer again from zero experience points, zero unlocked weapons, but in exchange, you have a cute little icon next to your name that shows that you are a prestige number one. And you can do this, uh, I believe, like 10 or 15 times. Jeez <laughs> least. Keep in mind that every time you prestige, we're talking about 2 million experience points, and just to like give you a point of reference... Killing somebody is, like, 100 experience points. <laughs> so, <fuck. laughs> and the thing is, people do it. Because, they're like, you know, like, all of a sudden, once they invented Prestige, being the top level is not nearly enough. Like, you can't even show your face at, like, uh, the junior high or whatever it is that, that where you get your props if you haven't, you know, reached Prestige number four. Um, So mm. it really does, like, keep you playing beyond the point where it might even be fun just so that you can say that, like, yeah, you know, a Prestige twice. And, uh, you know, I unlocked everything, and I have a golden weapon. And
1: Yeah, the biggest difference when we're talking about between movies and video games, and this is something that I think has really ratcheted up in the last couple of years with video games, is, is that a, vi- a movie you can watch once, and you can li- like a movie a lot, and it can become a big part of your life, and you can quote it and enjoy it, but a video game, there are, you can engage with that every day. And a lot of these reward systems are based around practical experimentation and trial and error to try to get people to play the game as much as possible. And then, therefore, to give more money over time, engage with the brand, right, to develop loyalty to their specific franchise, to invest in its community. And then when the downloadable content comes out, they'll pay for it, right? Like um, it's it's this idea that we are designing the – we're no longer – what they figured out is that you're paying for a video game because you want to play it, right? It's, it's not just an abstract sense of who wants to be the best. We want there to be competition, but we also want people to feel good and enjoy the video game that they're paying for. So we're going to reward people and incentivize them periodically in like little small things and then periodic bigger things and then little small things, periodic bigger things in ways that have been tested by cognitive scientists and there's all sorts of studies, figure out how the brain reward functions work. It, they're really like imitating an addiction uh, and creating an addiction and fostering an addiction. But I don't want to just decry it, but it's like they, they are really, really getting good at tightening these things up to encourage you to play the game more and to make you yeah. think of playing the game more as something that means that you're better at it um, or and better as a person, right? And, like, you get the affirmation. That's what you're playing. Yeah, uh, right? or, they, or they
2: want to build a social experience into it. They want to make it yeah. something that – I mean – Clans are a part of the game. That, that like, not only can you uh, establish a clan with a group of friends, but that's like built in. That like, they'll give you an online clubhouse for your clan.
1: They'll just they'll just give it to you. Well, yeah, yeah, well, I, I, yeah. yeah. I was very yeah. surprised when I started up with Team Fortress that there's like there's built in coaching. There's like a button you can click on to get a real person to come and coach you to play the game better. Um, which is like it's a it's a reminder after the tutorials. Which is wild that like there's such an institution around this. I don't think they're paid, right? But there's such an institution around this game that like there it's like a, it's like a religion. There's like different levels of deacons that are prepared to like induct you into the various mysteries, right? And I mean, like you bring could you up call it
2: that way, but like you wouldn't you wouldn't say it that way if we were talking about learning to play golf.
1: Um. I mean, I guess. That's a good question, though. I mean, for some people, golf is like that. But
3: there is a lot of – yeah, there's also a lot of peculiar ritual around golf. I mean, like the the fact that there is a magazine for golf full of golf tips and reviews of equipment when really the game hasn't changed in terms of rules or what it takes to play in – I don't know the couple centuries since it was invented. There, it, there's apparently an infinite or near infinite, if you if you believe the uh, golf fanatics, amount of detail that can be given into you know how to perfect your swing, like how to transition your weight from your front foot to your back foot and things like that. So it, it's a level of detail that seems. Mystical and almost, you know, ecumenical to outsiders, but apparently makes a lot of sense to people who do play golf.
1: Well, you can unlock so many hats, too. Like, you get the, the Greg Norman hat, right, with the shark on it, and you can get well, the Callaway I, I hear, golf hat.
3: I hear if you get maximum prestige and totally grief a bunch of noobs, they give you a different colored jacket, actually. Like, <laughs>
1: That's exactly. Isn't that interesting how similar that is, how similar golf is? You buy the new clubs. Like, the best players don't really fret that much about their clubs, I guess. You don't really think of – but the it's like the sweet spot for buying new clubs is the person who thinks that they're getting better, right? And they'll go buy the crazy titanium driver because past a certain point, it's not legal to use those kinds of clubs in serious <laughs> competition. Like, the super sweet spot. It's genetically engineered and bio-tested to a soul of a small dog, you know, a <laughs> strike of the of the um, club oh. against the ball. Um, no, it's very similar to sports. I think that people talk a lot about esports and like the the rate way that video games are raising in cachet. I think one thing that they ignore is the social phenomena of sports that are also happening. So yeah, it's not a new thing. A lot of it is very similar. And but I guess with, back in my day, if you joined a sport, there's a, the large understanding that a lot of you are going to be bad at it, and we don't really care what happens to you. Right, Like, oh, it's soccer practice time. Let's go run around and do some drills. And the understanding is like we don't really care whether you're any good at soccer. Uh, Video uh, games seem better
3: at that than than sports are. And golf is a good analogy because I think a lot of the continued appeal of golf is that it's a a good – well, I mean it's it's a social networking activity, and I mean that in the sense prior to when it was sort of co opted by marketing jackasses like myself, like legitimate social networking. Like you play golf with people you're doing business with. You you meet, you know, other lawyers or salespeople on the golf course, you you hit a few rounds. Some of you do better than others, and then, you know, in the clubhouse afterwards you talk business and that's how you make contacts and make deals. So that's why it's important to be able to at least play a convincing game of golf, so you can get out there and hold your own with, with other people in your peer group. And on a much smaller scale, just because I think the people who are real hardcore gamers don't necessarily have that level of social you know, networking cachet yet, but on a smaller scale, I think you have something similar with video games, because if all of your friends are playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, you either... You know, say goodbye to them for 16 hours of the weekend, or you try and learn Modern Warfare 3 yourself, just so you can get online and go with them. A lot of my friends, for instance, right now are going through the the latest uh, Forza Motorsports series, which is also a video game. It's a racing video game where you get to customize the cars you race with in a lot of detail. And I know you love War- racing
2: friends like that. It's it's interesting the subcultures that that develop. I don't know if there's any any logic to it but it's just interesting that like uh because i don't know i i kind of want to play that game but i don't know anyone to play it with but you apparently do
3: i'll i'll introduce you to my peer group if you're if you're really really looking for people because uh because yeah they're they're big on it and they're not big car junkies in real life i mean obviously you know they, they know cars and they like cars but they don't spend they don't spend like hours in their garage tooling up the charger every weekend there, the, i guess the equivalent is is forza motorsports or similarly you know when world of warcraft was still big i think i think world of warcraft is on a bit of a decline currently just anecdotally yeah. i have nothing to back this up but anecdote but no, you know that's world, true. world of warcraft you know if, if all your friends are raiding this weekend you either sit out or you learn how to play wow with them so it's it, it's keeping up with your peers Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, the thing that used to draw people into massively multiplayer online role-playing games is now available for many other genres of games. That's really what's happening, right? All these other games are becoming World of Warcraft. They're becoming MMORPGs. I don't want to say they're becoming World of Warcraft. That gives it gives far too much credit. No, they're, they're, I'll say they're becoming, they're becoming EverQuest.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're becoming massively multiplayer. They're not necessarily yeah. all role-playing games. I mean, except in the sense that you, you sort of are playing a role in, in a meta sense, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I guess over your headset. With the uh, with sure. you know what I mean, whatever twelve year old right you're you're talking to.
1: And your gamer tag too. Yeah. They're not twelve they're actually FBI agents, so be careful about oh, okay, that. Good. Every <laughs> last one of them. The government here yeah, <laughs> You you don't have no idea the training in insults that you get as a government agent so that you can convincingly play a twelve year old on a on a server that's doing a battlefield three. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is intense. Yeah. But no, yeah, no, it, it's uh you People use their gamer tags, right, and they use their nicknames, and they develop personas around their their nicknames that they use for these games, too. You get to name yourself, which is kind of cool, right? And, as, of course, as we learned from Genesis, the power to name things is kind of elemental sure. and, and has a sort of mystical quality to us. I mean, I'm not saying it necessarily is actually mystical, qua, like not realistic, but it has that level of cachet in the way that we shape the world. Like that's the, the weight class that it's swinging in um, to be able to name stuff. Yeah. So yeah, so uh so and and of course um I don't know. So John, you said you're playing you're playing older video games now is what you yes. were telling me
3: before. So we yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were talking about uh, replayability and yeah. and also the the desire for the desire to complete something and the the level of, you know, challenge and reward. And you guys were talking about Modern Warfare and Skyrim and I just before we signed on to this call was playing just Cause 2, which at this point is over a year old. I want. I want to say maybe even more than that. But I've been getting into because I I tend to be a very slow adopter when it comes to video games. Like I I don't like putting down you know sixty bucks for a video game in the first week it's out. I'll buy it used or buy it once the price goes down. <clears throat> but just Cause Two I've been playing for a while. I'm getting a lot out of. Like to give a sense of the to give a sense of the density of the world here. I've. Put in about probably ten hours over the last week, just of of constant gameplay, and I've gone from about twenty six percent complete to about thirty three percent complete just before I signed off. Now, so just cause two, for those of you who don't know, depicts you at it. I actually wrote an article on it for the site uh, earlier, like way earlier this year. Uh, depicts you as you know a CIA agent who's launched onto this. I think, Indonesian, you know, island, this fictional island called Panao, and told to essentially overthrow the government. And there is a a main storyline mission you can follow through, but a lot of it is the side missions where you're supposed to blow up government facilities or run around local villages and, you know, blow up the government, you know, gas stations and propaganda broadcasting booths and things like that. And just cause general chaos and causing chaos in that way unlocks, unlocks weapons and stuff. And one of the things I'm finding is that, you know, every every discrete, you know, town or base that you completely, you know, annihilate ups your completion percentage a little bit. And I've been playing this game for a good while now, and each of these bases, it's they're challenging enough that you can't just run in guns blazing. You have to approach it sort of tactically. But they're not so hard that I get frustrated after more than, you know, an hour or or less of play. So I I can I can take a base down in, like, 10 to 15 minutes and, you know, get a neat little sort of frisson of satisfaction. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then I check the map. It's this immensely dense country that I'm on. And there's, you know, another base not too far from here. So, yeah, like, oh, I'll swing over and check that out. And then, you know, six hours are gone like that. So it's it's a little ridiculous. So it's yeah. I, just cause, two, I mean, with even without being social, I think has pretty well balanced the – the challenge and reward payoff which is so difficult to master for you know for video games as an engaging experience because you you want it to be hard enough that you get a sense of accomplishment but not so hard that you know so not so hard that people shut it off and rage quit and not you know not so easy that people breeze through it and then throw it away
2: and i mean that didn't used to be a virtue in video games like you guys remember like ghouls and goblins or even like <laughs> super mario brothers nowadays like a kid would would throw down the control over super mario brothers and frustration pretty much instantly i mean you get three lives and then even if you're in the eighth world uh that's it you start again from the beginning um yep
3: i, I think the i you think know? The- and
2: it seems so uh brutal by today's standards where it's all about making it challenging but not too challenging and even <laughs> if you do die you can certainly restart from the point you you died
3: I think, I think the sea change in design philosophy came from when video games evolved from things we played in arcades for 25 cents a pop to things we played at home. Because in arcade games, the goal is to make it hard enough that, you know, people have to keep putting quarters in in order to play. Whereas in home play, the, the idea is that someone's going to sit down and settle into it and sort of engage with it over a period of time. So, you know, you don't need to... You don't need to keep throwing brick walls at somebody, literally in the case of Mario Brothers, because, you know, they're, they're sort of bought in. You want to give them an engaging experience that they can keep coming back to. Yeah.
1: Right, right, right.
2: Yeah, and you know what's, you you mentioned it, that these games are, they take so long to beat that, <laughs> you know, these are, and in a way it makes sense. Like, like a game nowadays costs, what, like 60 bucks new is, is pretty much the price point. And, yeah. And... In a way, like you want some decent entertainment out of that, but, but like I've read reviews of Skyrim that talk about like I've played forty hours so far, and I even ha- haven't started the main quest. All I've been doing is like crafting armor and like pickpocketing people for fun.
1: Um, <laughs> that sounds like a fun Friday night to me. It's what yeah. I do down. That's what I do down in Harvard Square. Is, uh, <laughs> and I
2: mean, there's <laughs> tremendous games, but then. You know in in a way, I think they can be daunting to somebody it 's like maybe you do want to play something like Modern Warfare or Skyrim, but you feel like wow it 's going to take it 's an investment in time like if I buy it i 'm not going to have fun if I only play it like you know a couple hours a month. I need to like you know uh, it 's like a part time job pretty
1: much yeah, I think people with that attitude get called casuals. Right, which is a derogatory term. But also yeah, they buy – it. a derogatory yeah. term, yeah. They used to buy Wii's and now they buy Connects, right? It's like the uh, – <laughs> <laughs> that's how they get your money. Uh, they, they buy the,
2: iPhones pretty much. Yeah,
1: that's true pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now they just spend all that money to call people. Which I guess they want to get in touch with the other human beings, which is crazy. Why would you want to do that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do
2: think that my, my biggest complaint about Modern Warfare, all of them, is that there's no, there's no ranking system that allows you to play against people of similar skill levels, which I think is, is – it's a shame, but it's, it's almost like a tacit admission that like this isn't really something that you do unless you're like serious about like putting in the hours it takes to rise to that high level of play.
1: Yeah, and I wonder whether it is really a good use of time. I mean, I do like doing. I mean, <laughs> well, you
2: know, aren't you the one who, who said that like we
1: should not apologize for the things we love? I know. I, I'm, I'm less concerned about it about the idea that I should be doing something that's more worthy, and more concerned about like its effect on my mental and physical well being over time. Okay. <laughs> like, like I just I don't know because I have noticed I've played a lot more of these games in the last few weeks than I had previously, and I think part of this is because I decided just to, to try something. When I, when your main game is something like StarCraft, and you only really play when one of your friends is online, um, and you don't play anything by yourself, uh it's a different experience than if you've got a game that you play multiplayer against strangers, you play by yourself, and you can play whenever you want. Um, I definitely have noticed it takes – you can sink so much time into these things, and they're so good at keeping your attention, right? They're so good at keeping you engaged with the playing experience um, that it really sucks you in and, like, I have a lot of stuff I need to get done, and it's not getting done. <laughs> this is not a good thing. Um, and it was mostly just, like, uh, feeling – I mean, I don't know if you guys get the sort of gaming hangover, right, where it's like I've been staring at a screen for too long. I've been sitting in one place for too long. You know, I'm, I'm full of diet soda
3: I mean, that's not. I mean, it's just me. I, well, I've I've definitely gotten the sensation of after marathoning on GTA for a while, like oh, I got to go to the store and get some milk. Like I'll go to the store, and as I see a car approaching, I'm thinking like, all right, do I want to jack this one? Like it's if, like, that's if a they're, nice car. they're slowing just, down, that, it's better than yep. my car.
1: Yep. Like, you guys remember when, when we were in New Haven and Explo was around, right? Were you guys there for that? Yeah. When it was like the group of high school kids who were like visiting a college campus as like a paid activity to try to pad their resumes. I was playing a whole ton of Grand Theft Auto 3 at the time, and I did end up stealing one of their signs and bringing it to a barbecue. Like, me and, and uh, <laughs> a certain Swedish uh, academic friend of ours who shall remain nameless despite his awesome dude. Like, we stopped, we jumped out of the car, we ran up, we grabbed, it. Like, I was practically visualizing the awkward way in which the characters run around cars um, and, and threw it in the trunk and ran. <laughs> Although I hated the sign, too, because it, it, it's very strongly implied. Well, what it said was that drivers should watch out for explosive students, which very strongly implied they should plow over the rest of us, um, which I did not appreciate. But I don't know. Maybe I was the only person who cared about that thing. But, uh, but we stole it, and it was probably not the right thing to do. But I think the video games do affect your perspective. They definitely get inside your head. So, are there ones you can play that actually will like foster a more productive attitude? Like, is there a video game that's like totally addictive and all-consuming that's going to make you want to like go out and like say nice things to all the people in your life that you love and like do, uh, do all the things to help you follow your dreams?
3: Yeah, yeah, The Sims. The Sims, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> like, like oh, well, you're you're the uh, you're giving the opposite of like the scenario of the movie Toys, right? Where.
3: Uh, <laughs> the, the, movie, the movie Toys had a scenario? Yeah, LL Cool J was in it. it, has, yeah. it. No, that's
1: that's Quest. Isn't, that's isn't The class. Sims all yeah.
2: about being like a horrible control freak? And like micromanaging every aspect
1: of the lives of the people you love? Yeah, well, and there's the a myth that you're going to somehow win if you do it, but you won't. Not in the game, not in real life. It's, not
3: partly, it's partly about that, but having having sunk many hours into The Sims, I think it's more about recognizing that there are multiple spectrums multiple facets of things that can contribute to your overall sense of well-being and that you can't just focus on one because then the others are going to slide by the wayside so you know you have a room score which is the quality of the room that you're currently in you need to you need to maintain that by like making the bed and turning lights on and buying you know nice furniture and then you have like a bladder score so you got to go to the bathroom every now and then and you have a hunger you have a hunger score which decreases you know the longer you go from eating and uh, and that that realization i mean i'm not gonna say it's changed my life but you know every now and then you know i'll i'll come home and you know i didn't make the bed before i left that morning because i was in kind of a hurry and i i see my unmade bed and it's kind of like eh, that would be nicer if it were a if it were a neatly made bed spread you know i can see my room score diminishing a little if you know if, if you'll allow the silly metaphor there so i i think i think that's a useful philosophy the idea that you know you can't focus obsessively on one aspect of your life and let other things fall by the wayside. You have various needs, all of which, are, all of which need to be kept in balance for good well-being. The, um I hesitate to ask this, but what happens if your bathroom score goes too high? If your if your bladder score diminishes all the way to zero, your uh, your or if it gets low enough, your guy will start ignoring your commands and try and sprint for the nearest bathroom.
1: But you can uh, prevent
3: it. him by walling it off.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you, if, this is if the one thing somehow, I've done in The Sims.
3: <laughs> Sorry, if go. you if you somehow stop him, or if you like can give him a countervailing command before then, he will eventually soil himself. At which point, you know his comfort level will also diminish by. a substantial amount. Uh, Other people might point and laugh at him, and his bladder level will then reset to, like, you know, 50% or something.
1: I think that there's a puddle on the ground that he cries in, which is pretty awesome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why am I not playing this game right now? <laughs> this game Why is I'm awesome. Not, but I can't believe that you recommended this as a game that will actually, like, make you a better person. Because <laughs> it sounds like it would do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, just it the it also has that. It also it, has that capacity, but, you know, as in real life, you have to go through a short period of, you know, sowing your wild oats, or you know <laughs> your crazy college years, or so putting excited. someone in a walled-off room and then light- lighting the lamp on fire and taking the door away behind them, you know, <laughs> like like we all did in college. And uh, <laughs> it's like an Edgar Allan post story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, well, uh, as as often happens when you're playing video games, an hour has disappeared without. uh <laughs> <laughs> without my really knowing where it went i at know, least I, i've i've heard you know i've heard because i i don't uh play video games because i i generally don't do things i i'm not already good at other than host a podcast hey oh zap um but uh if you would like to join the uh the game i was actually interested in in getting some advice on the podcast uh so actually um uh, let's put this... unlocked.
1: you asked for advice on the podcast <laughs> advice asker
0: i want to or... put this i want to put this out just as a uh as a as a totally selfish question to our listeners you can you can uh, go in the comments on the show notes um and and tell me as a complete uh complete noob who like I play casual games on my phone ac- uh, occasionally as a like a quasi meditative way to kill time um but uh d- other than that I'm not at all good at it I haven't played a uh, I haven't played a video game since since the the sierra online days actually what what should i buy and get um to uh raise myself to a level of video game awesomitude what what console or computer games like what if you could d- design a uh, a 110 course a video game 110 course for me what would it be I actually might do it. I actually might write a series of articles if someone gives gives one that sounds interesting. So you could put that, or you could join the conversation about video games, about uh, the overthinking of their their uh, deeper meetings about the two that came out this week, uh, or about anything. Uh, you can email us at, at podcast at com. You can call or text 203 And you can uh, leave a comment Probably the best way to leave a comment On the show notes on the page We'll be back next week Until then visit us on the web At www.overthinkingit.com Where we subject the popular culture To a level of scrutiny It It probably
1: doesn't deserve
0: Podcast achievement unlocked
3: All right, Sergeant Worthington, we're deploying you into the hottest battle zone in the world, and we're giving you this completely unskilled private Jonah Hill to take with you. (laughs) Teach him the ropes. Welcome to Modern Warfare 3 Beach Volleyball
1: Edition! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! Headshot! Oh, headshot! Oh, there's another headshot! Yeah. (laughs) Yay!